Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the World Cup 2018 podcast with Richard Baha. We're going through our first episode as the World Cup has actually started now. And um, let's say it's been pretty exciting so far. So we're going to, uh, hopefully, for the foreseeable future, split it this way. So we're going to have three days of action talked about and then just a quick little uh, preview for what's coming up. Uh, So we're going to start from the very top. But before we do get into that Russia-Saudi Arabia game, I'd like to uh, quickly mention that for the first time ever, I have actually gotten my hands on on one of those uh, Panini sticker books. So uh, I never actually had one of these growing up, so it's pretty exciting. Um, And I thought I'd quickly tell you which teams I've had the most luck luck collecting so far. So England uh, has been my second most uh, collectible team, I guess. So I've got Jordan Pickford, John Stones, Raheem Sterling, uh, Ryan Bertrand, Danny Rose, Jordan Henderson, uh, Harry Kane, and Jesse Lingard from Man U. Um, again, I've noticed a few players in here uh, actually didn't go to the World Cup as well. There's quite a few I've noticed, um, but we'll we'll ignore that for now, I guess. And over in the very start of the booklet, I've got the Australian team. So so far, I've had Maddie Ryan, I've had Aziz Bayich. Uh, Trent Sainsbury, Bailey Wright, Mark Milligan, Mila Yedinak, James Troisi, Jackson Irvine, Tim Cahill, and Matthew Leckie. So that's exciting. That's a little bit of a, a side note for you guys, something that I've really enjoyed doing so far. And uh, those last few players there uh, had a great game against France, but we'll wait. We'll wait as much as it pains me to have to wait to talk about it. Uh, we're going to start from the top with Russia versus Saudi Arabia. Now, that first day, uh, a lot went on. If I'm honest, I've got a, uh, you know, the shots of Putin in the, in the crowd with uh, Infantino and the the Saudi sheikh or uh, dignitary. Uh, we also had, oh God, we had Robbie Williams putting his middle finger up. Um, it was an interesting, interesting start to the day. Uh, but that five nil win, incredible for the. For the home side there. Um, you always want, you know, the home nation to do well. And it was great to see the substitutes get on the score sheet. Um, Denis Cher- Cheryshev, I remember when he was at Real Madrid, actually, because I remember that there was a bit of a scandal there. I believe he played a game and made them in- in- ineligible to play uh, in a certain cup. Uh, they fielded him as an ineligible player. It was some sort of a scandal. Um, so it was great to see him get out there, have a good showing. And you could see how much it meant to all the players that got on the score sheet that day and to the coach. Uh, I really actually have taken a big liking to Stan um, because, you know, when I first saw him, I thought, you know, who's this bloke? Uh, I heard a lot about him in the press about how he might be a bit cocky and uh, that Russia, you know, really hadn't had that many games leading up compared to Saudi Arabia. But the 5-0 really, really opens up that group. I mean, who is it? Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Uruguay. Uh, after the result in the other game, you know, it's it's all out there. Of course, I would go out on a limb and say, look, Saudi Arabia is most likely not going to get through now. Um, so it makes it a three-horse race, and that's what you need, really, because it really makes Russia versus Egypt huge. And an awkward result in Russia versus Uruguay, like a draw or a win for Russia, also just makes it so intense. So I'm excited. I'm very excited to see how that pans out. But the game itself... I enjoyed it. Um, look, Saudi Arabia were lackluster. Uh, really didn't 
give a great showing for the Federation and, of course, me being from Australia and Australia moving from Oceania to Asia, if anyone didn't know, quite a while ago, um, into their Federation, you know, it, it it was quite upsetting, I guess, because it had been a long time since our Federation had even had a solid win in the World Cup. I think Iran uh, on the next day in Group B was the first win for the Asian Federation in a very long time. So, I mean, good good on Russia. I'm happy for them. But we'll move on to Egypt versus Uruguay. Okay, what a frustrating game to watch. Alrighty. So first half, um, obviously, we're hit with the news that Mohamed Salah is not on. And uh, there was a player in there, first name Amir, I believe. It was AMR. Um, so I can't really... I'm not sure how it was pronounced. Uh, with the... With the Marouane Fellaini here. Um, I'll see if I can get a name eventually. But uh, he he was unbelievable. I, I really feel like he put in a shift. I didn't really hear many people talking about him. I'll see if I can get his name. Oh, and I, I saw a lot about Onani having a great game. Um, but the player that I saw, um, he's not in the booklet, which is quite upsetting. But he had the, the Fellaini type hair and he came off in the second half. Uh, they scored after he went off. I thought he was amazing. So Amir, I, I couldn't pronounce the last name. Uh, he was fantastic. Uh, the game itself uh, seemed quite evenly matched. Um, felt like either team could pull something out. But that second half, it was just an onslaught of Uruguayan attack. Um, and the one thing that really struck me was Cavani looked great. Give, I'll give him that. Cavani looked amazing. Um, you know, he, he looked like he was going to make something happen. But every time Suarez touched the ball, it was almost like he was... Uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically, uh, like a step off the mark. Um, because when you think Suarez, you think, you know, that quick first touch and then he kind of just darts out of nowhere. Um, whereas here, you felt like like there was just a, he was a step too slow a lot of the time. Um, characteristic with that save as well, uh, where, where the, the ball was basically just plucked at his feet. Um, and for the life of me, I thought this is going in or it's a penalty. Um, the goal uh, from Jose Maria Jimenez, though, um, it really capped off, you know, a nice win for Uruguay because it was definitely a game they could have drawn, you know. So I think they'll look at that as three points gained and puts them in good stead for the rest of the the competition. Uh, Egypt will be very unhappy with the, the the loss there, especially without Mohamed Salah. You know, they gave them a good fight, and you you you'd think that if Salah was in there, there would have been maybe a few more chances for Egypt's way. And if one goes in, the whole game changes shape. So that was a very good game to watch. Uh, in that respect, I, I know a lot of the people I watched that game with uh, weren't particularly impressed with the first half, but uh, second half, you know, it definitely came alive. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Now, Group B, it, it struggle. Uh, it's a struggle for me to talk about Morocco Iran too much, um, mainly because of the other game in Group B, which you would all know about. Uh, but to see Iran win, uh, you know, I, I was happy. I was happy. Uh, I was happy with whoever won that game. And my hope was that either of them would win, so there wouldn't be a draw. So it gives one of them that, that early three points that is oh so vital in tournament football, any tournament football. Um, so I was happy with either of them winning, just not a draw, so that they have a chance at progressing, although I really, I really can't see it happening. Um, you'd think maybe even the, the draw between Portugal and Spain is actually beneficial for them because they both end up with the one point and will most likely both beat the two other teams in the group. So. We'll see how that goes there. Um, but very happy for Iran. Um, I think that one was an own goal, if I remember correctly. But the game of the start of the World Cup, 
in my opinion, so far. Um, well, it tied best game so far. Uh, so Portugal versus Spain. Now, a, a quick... <laughs> A quick kudos to Nacho Fernandez for the the absolutely filthy strike, um, but and oh, Diego Costa for the for the techers, although a bit questionable on Pepe. Pepe, um, yeah, Nacho's goal sublime. Um, thought I'd give them the quick honourable mention just because the spotlight after this game. Poor Nacho, poor Diego Costa, hundred percent Ronaldo, a hat trick. First game of the World Cup against Spain, where you play your football. You're versing your own, your own teammates. Um, oh, it's just unbelievable. Spain, uh, to their credit, did amazingly, you know, without uh, Lopetegui, Lopetegui in there anymore. Uh, Fernando Hierro, though, you know, Real Madrid legend. A lot of Real Madrid players in there, and obviously was a Spanish player too, actually played for the national team, actually has some, you know, good credentials as well. So I don't see them losing respect or anything, but I'm just happy that they got off to a decent start, didn't completely collapse, because that's always possible. Think back to France um, with Patrice Evra and co, um, basically protesting and um, boycotting a World Cup. So very happy that they've come out and given their best. Um, I don't think that Lopetegui being in there would have altered the situation either. Uh, but Portugal, Ronaldo, unbelievable. And the way that game swung, um, just the lead changing and oh, just the flow of the game was unbelievable. I thoroughly enjoyed watching that match. And the fact that Ronaldo scored that hat trick as well, um, just a man for the occasion. And it really came back more than anything to haunt Messi uh, because uh, whether it's right or not, I wasn't particularly thinking it, but when the media started talking about it, you know, it got me thinking too. People were saying, Ronaldo won, Messi nil. Uh, Or after Ronaldo scored this hat trick, tomorrow Messi plays. Will he be able to match it? And, you know, you feel for them at times because you go, wow, you know, we can't appreciate both of them as the players they are. But it's in our nature to compare people at the top of the game. So, you know, it it always is going to make sense to do that kind of comparison. And the fact that um, you know, they've done everything there is to do in the club scene um, with only Ronaldo having, you know, a great success in international football. That that seems to be, you know, the, the decisive little descriptor between the two. So the fact that Argentina had Iceland um, the next day was, was huge for Messi because there was a chance to score a lot of goals in that game um, in Argentinian minds. But um, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. But again, Portugal, Spain... Incredible. I still think that they're both going to get through. And I'm hoping for more just amazing attacking football. All right. Okay, here it is. Group C. The first game of Group C. Look. France versus Australia. I could talk a long time about this game. Uh, Look. (laughs) It was painful. It was painful. Not in the fact that we lost, but in the fact that that game had my nerves at their very limit. Uh, so Australia, I hope a lot of you international viewers appreciated how Australia played. I saw some actually, uh, actually interesting point. I saw some Peruvian articles, right, coming out and saying um, basically France shouldn't be feared as much as they were. Australia won't be as easy as we thought. It was something along those lines. So I, I thought that was very interesting to see that kind of a, a reaction. And that was right after the France-Australia game, but before Peru had played Denmark. Uh, Peru obviously in a bit of a precarious position now after after the loss to Denmark. But France versus Australia. Let's go through this one a bit more. Okay. So that's 
I guess, part and parcel of me being Australian and uh, giving you the Aussie influence on on this World Cup and following our journey. So I was happy to see Andrew Naboo start. I'm a big fan of Tommy Urich, but um, I like the fact that we stuck to our guns, had a, had a two... Our two options were basically A-League products, which is amazing. Um, but France, that first penalty, I, I'm going to try and avoid it because I don't want to talk about the VAR in this this podcast because I could talk about the VAR all day. But it really killed me. I, I can't lie. That that first uh, penalty for France, uh, Josh Risden bringing down Griezmann, um, because there was a lot of play acting in the game. Uh, a, a lot of people would say that when their team loses and there's a lot of fouls, but there were so many fouls. And Hernandez, my God, he is public enemy number one in Australia, <laughs> especially because Australia loves you know rugby league, AFL, where there is a lot of contact in the sport, and you know a little bump on the shoulder doesn't do anything, right? Um, and you could hear it in the in the stands. You know, not that we're a grubby team, but that we hated how much. Um, afters there were when there was a little foul or a, a slight bump on the shoulder. Um, of course, you know, football's a beautiful game. There shouldn't be too much contact, etc., etc. But a lot of the Australian fans in the stadium and around Australia definitely thought that it was just one step too far. They were acting like they'd been shot. It's like those sorts of comments, and I, I can sympathise. Um, Hernandez in particular really made himself a nuisance. Um, but I guess that was his job, and he got lucky carded very early on. There was also a lot of questions within Australia, for those of you who aren't you know, from here and haven't heard, uh, just about how, I guess, card-happy, um, well, how willing the referee was to card players early on um, from Australia, uh, basically Matt Lecky after his first foul, and it didn't look that bad, um, versus, you know, many repeated fouls by certain French players. Uh, I know Robbie Cruz got fouled by the same player three times. Uh, just many examples like that um, where there were no cards. And what shocked me as well, Umtiti deliberately handballs to stop a goal-scoring opportunity. The, the header, it's going gonna, it's gonna to land. The cross is going to land on Mele at an head, and there's an Aussie player behind him. Varane looks like he's just about to miss the ball, but whether he does or not, Umtiti puts his hand up on purpose to punch the ball away in his own box. This is where I have the gripe, right? Without getting too passionate, but this is where I'm just torn. Not torn, angry. (sighs) You either, for some reason, don't give a penalty, right? Or you do, and in doing so, you're acknowledging this person's put his hand up on purpose, punched the ball away, therefore deliberate, therefore trying to prevent this goal-scoring opportunity, therefore a bloody card. Whether it's a red or a yellow, I just don't understand how there was no card given. It's the same as, uh, it's the exact same as, which game was it? I think it was the Egypt game. There was a player down the right flank who took a clear dive, absolutely just clear as day dive, right? Gets up, gets told to get up. If you're telling the player, hey, you took a clear dive, Aren't you meant to give them a card for simulation? That's what I don't understand. It's a, it's a, it's a, a either or. Um, it's a, um, it's a yes no situation. Like if a player dives and it's a penalty, it's a penalty, right? And then you give the repercussions, you give the card, whatever. If the player has clearly dived and it's the opposite side of the coin, then you must reprimand the player for taking the dive. You know, it just it frustrates me when a referee is technically acknowledging something, but then avoids 
taking it further because he's kind of shying away from his own decision, if that's how you can describe it. But moving on a bit more with the France-Australia game, um, the, the penalty back was a clear penalty, obviously, with that, that handball. Uh, but it definitely did hurt a lot of Australians to see that um, a, an angle came out that was released officially uh, after the game of the first penalty that was given against Josh Risden, which Antoine Griezmann um, gained for, for France. Uh, and there was a clear vision of another angle that apparently the referee didn't actually bother to look at, or the VAR must not have paid attention to, because that was the that was the headline. The camera angle that the referee did not watch, um, that proves that there was no foul. And you can actually see a deviation in the ball the moment that Josh Risden's boot hits it. And I initially didn't think that, um, that there was much in it, but I did think it was a penalty. But after seeing that, I was actually quite convinced. Uh, there's also a bit of talk about how it's just his back leg that got hit, uh, Griezmann's back leg. But again, uh, from that vision, it looks like he got ball. Uh, so, look, Australians feel very hard done by, so do I. But um, that late goal, there wasn't much he could do. Again, VAR, VAR wasn't in our favour today or, or yesterday. But um, uh, Australia can can hold their heads high. A lot of uh, a lot of people here are quite surprised, you know, expecting to get absolutely thrashed. Um, lackluster performances against Hungary. Uh, decent performance in the second half against Czech, Czech Republic leading in, struggling to qualify to the World Cup for starters. Um, you know, we expected potentially an onslaught, but Bert Van Marwick, to his credit, organised our boys. Aaron Moy had a great game. So many players had a great game. Uh, Bayich was on the ball so much. Uh, Matty Ryan looked confident every time he had the ball, which is amazing to see from your goalkeeper, especially with how wide open this group now becomes for that second-place spot. Um, because... If you're an Aussie fan, you still have a lot of reason to be confident. Um, after the Peru-Denmark game, neither team, in in my opinion, in, in a lot of my mates' opinions, um, should really be able to push France that much. Um, and for for our sake, I hope France absolutely bounces back uh, from, you know, not the best performance and absolutely kills it against Peru and Denmark because then it really leaves it open for Australia. Uh, but moving on to Peru and Denmark, um, oh, ho. Oh boy. Okay, so I'll explain. I uh, I <laughs> had a heated argument with a Peruvian fan. I've got nothing against the Peruvian national team. I've had to repeat myself with this many times, but um, you know, I'm happy that Paulo Guerrero is in. I'm hoping they do well for the sake of the fact that they're a South American team, and I want them to do well. But I have seen so many posts. Um, obviously, because of the fact that I'm from Chile. Uh, I've seen posts basically saying, oh, Arturo Vidal, Arturo Vidal, let's behead him in the streets of Moscow. What exactly? Um, So basically some Peruvian fans, uh, quite a large number of them, and Argentinian fans actually, have been focused a lot more on the fact Chile didn't make it. Christian Quaver even came out from Peru and, you know, was slandering the Chilean team. Uh, The Argentinian fans as well came out and, brought a cutout of Arturo Vidal because obviously I guess he tamed Messi twice in a row and decided to behead him on the streets of Moscow, a cardboard cutout, uh, just to have a good time apparently. Peruvian fans have been doing similar things, you know, talking a lot more about the fact that Chile didn't make it than the fact that they're there for the first time in 36 years. Enjoy it while you're there. Um, So Christian Cueva was also one of them that really got involved and was giving it to Chile more than looking forward to his own World Cup experience, and they've lost in their first game. So, look, nothing against Peru, but some of your fans are really getting to me, 
And I had one have an absolute dig at me over the weekend. Did not give up. So I gave him, you know, a good line. Uh, basically said nothing against Peru again, but this was just in the heat of the argument and it kind of got him to shut up. He was he was having a go and, you know, saying, you know, Chile's got nothing, all that sort of stuff. So I just went, mate, this is the first time you have said anything in your whole life positive about the Chilean national Oh, sorry. <laughs> Positive about the Peruvian national team since Chile became your daddy. And then it ended. So that was good. That was good on my part. You know, it felt good to just get that that energy out there, you know, get the get the retaliation going because I've been absolutely copping it. Um, but uh, no, I wish Peru all the best. And uh, the fact that Denmark's beaten them um, really won't be good for the confidence, especially because Quaver's the one that missed the penalty. So he's talked a lot and hasn't walked the walk, um, but it's good for Australia. So, uh, you look, Australia, if they can beat Denmark and Peru, will be amazing. Um, and obviously, if you're an Australian person listening to this, I think I do have a few Australian listeners now, uh, it is very good as well if um, if we can manage a solid win on behalf Well, we want the French to win, basically, from now on. We want them to win... 5-0, we want them to win 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, because our goal difference won't be too bad, um, you know, minus one, and hopefully some good results against Peru and Denmark, which I think we can do. I've got a few mates over in Russia at the moment, actually, uh, going to all the Australia games, but with Peruvian heritage, so they're loving it, because obviously they're all in the same group. I had that luxury recently, um, last few World Cups, Australia was in the same group as Chile a few times, well, that was great for me as well. It always makes the games uh, more interesting when you know so much about both sides of the coin. So, yes, Denmark 1, Peru 0, and we move on to Group D. So, last night I watched a lot of these. Uh, so, Argentina 1-1 with Iceland. My God, what a frustrating game if you're a striker. Um, I just couldn't believe how many chances Argentina had. Messi had 11 shots. Can you believe that? 11 shots, and you, and so many times I saw him drop deep, do that quick little one-two that he does where he just passes it to someone, starts sprinting, and just tries to get into space. And it worked in midfield, but then every time he tried it in or around their box, you know, it just didn't go down for them. Um, one thing again, though, this VAR thing is frustrating me because I feel like there was two or three clear-cut penalties in that game that weren't checked or weren't called upon. Maybe I missed something. Maybe there was a reason they weren't looked at, but... I saw clear penalties um, that weren't called uh, that really surprised me. Maybe you guys can voice message in and say, hey, there weren't any, but I was quite sure I saw a couple in there, a couple replays that were on the coverage where it looked like there was a, a shout for a penalty. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where to go with that. Obviously, Messi missing a penalty it doesn't take away from that because if there was another penalty in the game, then you know you still have to give them. But, um, yes, Messi missing the penalty is probably haunting him still. And hopefully, for the sake of just good football and watching the game um, and enjoying it, uh, when Argentina versus Croatia or when Argentina versus Nigeria, I hope that he can you know, have a good performance because for the sake of football fans and making headlines around the world, we want Messi to have a good tournament. Uh, we want that rivalry, rivalry with Ronaldo to be like a, a matched rivalry so it comes down to the sword and to the last few games. Um, but Iceland, my word, they were very structured, of course. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if you guys felt the same, but watching this, 
It was almost like it was a training run for Argentina, yet every time Iceland, Iceland got the ball, which they didn't get it much, everyone streamed forward with so much pace. It was amazing to watch. Um, there was even a lesson in there for Australia to learn, you know, just band together as you were against France. But when you're going forward, just give it everything. It was beautiful. Um, and to see them get a goal back was great. Sergio Aguero obviously getting the goal for for Australia and, oh, sorry, for Argentina. It would be nice to have him in the Australian team. Um, but Iceland uh, with Finn Bogerson, I couldn't pronounce his name, but, you know, it's not my strong suit. <laughs> uh, but, yes, that one one huge for Iceland. They'll, they'll think anything's possible at this point. Uh, just with the way they were able to hold them out and obviously with beating England way back when. So, uh, look, Argentina uh, surprised me as well with the fact they brought on Iguain, um to partner Aguero, not to not to replace him, but to partner him. So that was interesting. And uh, the midfield, they had a lot of young midfielders, but they looked so much better when they brought on, you know, their elder state, statesmen, so like their, their Carlos Sanchez, um, or their uh, Christian Rodriguez, I think his name is. Uh, he looked good. Uh, Pavon as well, when he came on, he really impressed me, but I don't think, um, I still don't know if I justify him being in the team over Icardi. Um, uh, like slightly different positions, but um, as for attacking talent, you know, he was brought in as like a last minute replacement for Lanzini, um, who I love. I love Lanzini. Um, but uh Cardi not in the World Cup squad. I just don't don't comprehend it. Um, obviously, it is for personal reasons. Some sort of a um, he likes to get with teammates, partners is what I've seen on the grapevine or heard on the grapevine. But um, look, they they were quite easily frustrated by Iceland. Um, it was a shooting practice, but they weren't getting the best of looks in either. They were kind of shooting from all over the place. They were really struggling to break down that final four. So. A lot of the bigger teams, I think, will take note of that and say, hey, you know, we have a chance here. Um, but moving on to Group D, Croatia beating Nigeria, Modric having a decent game. I really wanted Nigeria to do well. Okay, you got me. They do have the coolest jerseys in the World Cup. So, you know, I just really wanted them to do well. <laughs> um, but look, Croatia winning 2-0, they do have some very good players in there. I think that they can have a good run as well. But the group dynamic... Um, uh, I again think it's a three three horse race. I, I think that uh, Argentina will still get through. I just don't see them not making it through. Um, Iceland and Croatia, though, that'll be just the matchup of the of the group. And a lot of the time, you know, when you're talking about groups, you think, what's the match of the group? And you always assume that it's you know the best team. Um, so Argentina in this case, and the other second best team on paper, Croatia. But I think that it actually will be Iceland versus Croatia because of what it all it'll mean for for the tournament, for the for the game, um, and for who progresses. So I'm very excited, and I'm going to keep it locked on that one, and hopefully we'll see where that one goes. As for tonight, all right, Costa Rica versus Serbia. I actually initially tipped Serbia. I'm so on the fence, though, just because Costa Rica, I think they can chuck an Iceland, you know? I, I just really feel like they can pull something out of the bag. It's not like they don't have good players either, um, just obviously not as favoured as, like, a, a Serbia is. You know, they pulled on, they pulled a run recently in the last World Cup, I think it was. Um, Joel Campbell's obviously still there. You know, you've got Ruiz still there, Navas still there. So everyone puts their best in, and they've got something going. Uh, Serbia... A few big names there, uh, a few older statesmen, elder statesmen in there, like Kolarov as well. Uh, but I think that they, they'll they put up a good fight. Um, 
you know, it's one of those ones where it's easy to say Serbia 2-0, but then it's also easy to say Costa Rica like a 1-0 or a 2-1. It's, it's, it's difficult. Um, but it's all really just a lead-up for Germany versus Mexico. I am so excited for that game. Just because there are a few media-created and just weirdly made uh, rumours about, you know, Germany, whether they'll perform. But they're so methodical that I can't see them not doing well. Uh, and they've got such a good, uh, what's been branded, tournament football team. So with Mexico's, you know, really badly done run into the World Cup, you know, with all the scandals and the prostitutes and the escorts and the partying, um, it, it could leave the door open to an absolute slaughter by the German team. Um, so, yes, a lot of people are trying to put that narrative on Germany that they're not the same team, that they won't perform as well. But uh, a team that's, what, finished third for the past few World Cups in a row or better, including winning the last one, not winning, not bringing the person that scored their winning goal in Mario Goetze, who happens to be in the Panini sticker book still. Um, Yes, look, this one's another one where it's either going to be a crazy upset or it's just going to be like a, a slaughtering from Germany. Um, I will probably be wrong because I'm not the best tipster, but I'm excited to see how Germany plays. Um, and what, they won the Confederations Cup last year anyways with, with a youth team, essentially. They played a B team and beat Chile in the final. And I suffered through the pain of that game. Went out of my way to go watch it at like a fan zone. Um so I just can't see Germany not doing well. Uh, this narrative of Germany's not the same, Germany's not going to win. They might not win the World Cup, but they're going to do well. Like, I really can't see them you know, completely floundering uh, in this group, especially with the fact that it's Sweden and South Korea they have to compete with, who are solid teams, so is Mexico. It's a bit of a group of death in there because they're so evenly matched. But I just see Germany as a step above all of them. Um, you know, I just can't see them floundering and not doing well as everyone has really been trying to push. And now the last one for the for the night, Brazil versus Switzerland. Okay, so the Swiss have some solid players. You know they're not going to like muck about or anything. But going off Brazil's lead up, you know, I just can't see them um, putting a foot wrong. And looking at the Brazilian team, I'm probably most excited for this game, just because I want to see how they go. I want to see how how really how beautifully they play. So, look, how that one goes, um, you know, it's all going to play into that narrative of the resurrection of Brazil after the, the massacre in, in 2014. Um, but what I what I really want to see is just a beautiful brand of football, that Joga Benito again. Um, and they're the one team that I just can't, I can't really have a doubt on. The only doubts, for example, that come for Brazil are that game from 2014. Whereas when you look at all their qualifying, they killed it after the first few games. They smashed South American qualifying ahead of Argentina, Colombia, all those teams, absolutely killed it. Were ahead by a mile. They knew they were qualified before anyone else. Um, and then their friendlies, you know, they're, they're playing with opposition. They played against Austria. Neymar's goal against Austria was just a walk in the park. He looked like he wasn't trying, yet he pulled off moves that people just don't even attempt, you know. That little roll um, might seem like a little ball roll to most of you, but the way he stepped into it, it was almost like, oh, I'm just, you know, playing with my mates, playing on a futsal court kind of a thing. It was unbelievable. So that's um, 
that, that's just another team where I think they're going to come out firing, and they're going to to get the party started. They're going to sumber on the <laughs> they're going to sumber on the touchline after they score. Not to discount Shakiri and those sorts of players, though. I think it'll still be an interesting match. I think Shakiri might score a banger from long range, just because I feel like I've seen him do it over and over again. Um, but I leave you guys with something, right? Zlatan Ibrahimovic did not make it to the World Cup, um, just retired from international football, thought about coming back, but obviously decided against it. He's come out and absolutely, absolutely hammered Deschamps and basically said, how can you not take Benzema? Now, obviously, there was a, a personal issue there. Benzema has had some sort of a blackmail drama. Um. So, you know, I can see why maybe in a personal level he's not there. But in that game against Australia, I feel like Benzema was the perfect player to come on. You know, a bit of a bigger body, but not, um, you know, as slow as like a Giroud and could make his, make his own shot a bit more. Um, I feel like it's such a waste that he wasn't there. And um, after seeing Mbappe and Griezmann not be entirely effective against Australia, who... Look, to all of you guys internationally, this is a little bit of an inside info. Trent Sainsbury, good defender. Mark Milligan is not actually a defender. He's a midfielder. Um, and he's no Gary Medell. Gary Medell's a midfielder, but he plays defense uh, for Chile. But um, Mark Milligan hasn't played defender for ages. You know, he's just played for as um, you know, lately because we didn't really know who to put in at that spot. Um, so if they can learn, um, you know, how to defend resolutely enough against those sorts of players who are quite similar, you know, rapid, um, but not the biggest bodies. Um, I think that a Benzema would have been perfect just to change it up against some of those smaller teams like Australia Australia, and, um, you know, teams that aren't as competitive at times, um, just to get the ball rolling. And we know that he can step up for big moments. So I just feel like somewhere in that team, they could have chucked him in, um, even if it's on the bench as like an impact sub Um on that note, though, I do appreciate Giroud's words uh, after the game. He was very, um, very surprised by how well Australia did. Um, so, you know, <laughs> sorry as well to my international listeners who have probably hated the fact that I've spoken so much about Australia. But uh, as we move into this new day of football, uh, I'll see you guys after the next three games are done, unless something unbelievable happens and I just have to get on here and talk to you guys again. Uh, but that Spain versus Portugal game, I'm hoping someone can top it because it's only been a few days and this has been a beautiful festival of football. So thanks, guys. Apologies for the long episode and I hope you are enjoying this World Cup as much as I am. Thanks very much. This has been Richard. Keep your voice messages coming in. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Yeah.